We've created uh, within the City Hall an opportunity to uh, solve your problem. And it's guaranteed that we've always been one foot off. Now that's not quite what we, were really, what we really wanted. No, we didn't do it. Or worse yet, somebody stood in front of your Civic League or say in front of your group and said, yeah, we can do that. And then you never heard from them again. Good intentions, not, not malice, good of heart, not bad of heart. But it wasn't, a, it wasn't a system that we could maintain with satisfaction in the community. I'm at a uh, budget meeting, uh, one of those budget hearings where people think we speak in three minutes, and there was a guy in front of the mic then, new person at Fairmont Park. And his comment was, and it caught my attention, we got tired of waiting for the city, so we started doing it ourselves. And that was Taylor Good at Fairmont Park. And what's happened at Fairmont Park, we've taken a community, not we, when I, well, it's we because it's been the city working in relationship with the community, but that community has taken itself back where it's gone from being a community where it was on the news every night for a shooting or a murder, and it's now a neighborhood of pride. And it, it went full circle. As Sherry can tell you, I remember the list. Remember the list? Um, we used to get the list from Fairmont Park. About every Thursday or Friday, they'd, call, they'd send in their list of 100 code violations and turn it over to the Norfolk Cares Assistance Center. And then what happened over time is it got to the point where we would go out with the code inspectors and the problem was already resolved. And then it got even better because the calls quit coming in. Because what would happen was there'd be the 80-year-old lady who was on the verge of a code violation because of peeling paint in the garage and before they even called it in, they had a team that went out there, scraped the garage, and repainted it. And that's a neighborhood taking itself back. Now, they, they didn't discuss what color and all that kind of thing because it was about the peeling paint. And that's what Sherry's going to be talking about. What's the difference, Sherry, between peeling paint and purple? Um, morning. I'm Sherry Johnson. I've been with the city about 15 years. Born and raised in the area around Ocean View, Bayview. So I am vested in the city, and as cheesy as it may sound, is you don't really like Norfolk. Um, we've got a lot of eclectic stuff going on. We may not be the prettiest all the time, but you know, we're doing a good job. Um, I'm currently a neighborhood services manager in the Department of Bureau of Neighborhood Quality. We change names from time to time. If you notice, my shirt says property maintenance. We were that last year. Um, but <clears throat> our mission is the same, and that is the enforcement of codes. And for many of you, codes is a very broad word, um, and it can mean just about anything. So what I wanted to do is talk a little bit about the difference between the codes and the ones that we can enforce. Um, I'm going to pick the, the most obvious ones are frequent flyer codes that people have. So we're going to start with accumulation of solid waste. Um, solid waste can be anything. The definition of solid waste would be if I put my cigarette butt out, I could write you under 14.5 for a solid waste violation and an accumulation of that. But we like to use a little bit of common sense in the city, um, and Halim will talk to this a little bit. We'll get a lot of calls. Obviously, these pictures, that's an accumulation of solid waste. Common sense, you're going to look right at that. We'll get a lot of calls that'll be, though, It'll be um, a daycare provider, and they have children's toys in their front yard. Ugly, probably not pretty, half of them kind of hanging over. Is that trash and debris? No, it's not something that we're going to write as an accumulation of trash and debris. You're doing renovations on your house. 
Um, and I, I always talk about, you know, my ex-husband or whoever he was. He's from the country. You know, they keep building materials forever. Um, so if you're working on your house and you're doing it one plank at a time and you've got building materials out back, when we come out and we look at that, if they're usable materials, you've got them stacked, they you look like you might be able to use them eventually, we're not going to write that as an accumulation of solid waste. So those are some of the questions that's going to... Um, come up when you come at, call into the call center. So a lot of times people will be like, well, what? it's just junk. Well, you need to tell me what junk means to you because you know we got a lot of different definitions of that. Just about 90% about what I'm gonna talk about today, unless it involves the house or the structure or city ordinances. And you can get all of that and go look and browse. There's some really funny ones out there about body houses and stuff too, if you have some nighttime reading. Um, if you go to the city website and you just go to municipal codes, you can find all of them. So if you're looking for it, just to copy and paste it into like your newsletter or something, then you can go to the top of the Muni code site and type in section 2958, copy and paste it right out. But you'll see them listed by chapter. They're pretty easy to find. Um, junked and inoperable vehicles. This is another one that's near and dear to my ex-husband's heart because again, he's from the country and you save every single piece of vehicle that you've ever owned since the beginning of time because you may need that door or that alternator later. In the city of Norfolk, under this code, junked or inoperable <clears throat> has a definition. So you could have a perfectly beautiful Mercedes, okay? She's good, you got her sitting out in the driveway. She's gotta have an inspection sticker. She's gotta have a license plate. She's gotta be legally drivable on the street. Or you have to enclose her in a fully enclosed structure. That doesn't mean a car cover. That doesn't mean a carport. That means a garage. So if you're going to be working on cars <clears throat> on your property or at your house, and we do this, you know, have teenagers, you know, they want to go buy this $1,500 car and they want to sit out there and work on it and be grease monkeys, pretend like they know what they're doing. <clears throat> if it's not tagged and licensed and inspected, it, it can't be in the driveway. So you're going to have to have a garage to put it in. Commercial vehicles in residential areas. So this is, and that's why I have it in bigger form so you can actually read it. There's lots of exceptions to that. The rule of thumb though, is if you're in a residential area, you can't bring your tow truck home. You can't store it at your house. There's some um, exceptions for taxi cabs. There's some exceptions, um, <coughs> excuse me, for um, small passenger, those small passenger vans. But for the most part, if it's commercial, if you're using it and it's, if it's big, you're not to have it in a residential area. It's over 7,500 pounds gross vehicle weight is in there somewhere. So a lot of times what we'll get is, you know, nowadays, well, not so much with the gas prices, $100 a gallon, um, you have a big 350 diesel, okay? And you've got racks on it and all of that. It may meet the requirement for 7,500 gross vehicle weight. So we're, we are looking at that ordinance because it is excluding some of those larger trucks that um, those guys like to drive. Um, but clearly if it's a box panel truck, you got a bread truck, none of that can be stored at your house. Some exceptions with some taxi cabs because, you know, they need to go home and have lunch. They can have one in their driveway, not on the street, those kinds of things. We have a lot of um, issues with these that um, with the tow trucks and with the big, um, you know, I work for an HVAC company and I bring my truck home. 
So that's a little bit, you know, we try to work with them. Um, and that's another thing that you can call in and that the um, ladies in the call center is going to ask you, well, what kind of truck? Well, you know, it, it has Mary Kay on the side of it. Well, that doesn't count. Um, another, just a couple examples of here's your trailer, that big work trailer. Um, it's not a lawn trailer. People will get those big ones up top. Um, you can't store them at your house. They're considered commercial. Um, they have to be, you know, you have to have them tagged and licensed. Um, you're not supposed to have them in the backyard. I will be honest with you. Um, unless somebody's really complaining about something like that. I, and, and in my opinion, your backyard's a little bit sacred unless you're, you know, health or safety issues. Um, so, our, and realize our inspectors can't go on your property except where the mailman goes or what they can see from the public view. Recreational vehicles, summertime, this is a nightmare for us. If you've ever known anybody and they go, oh, we're gonna go get an RV, you know, cause we're gonna go camping, I got one on sale. This one over there that's half open, I'm not sure, that's probably $1.95. Um, and they wanna bring them back to their house and use them and they think it's perfectly okay to park them in their driveways. It's not. And nobody at the RV sales place, when you pay $100,000 for one of them RVs, is going to tell you, you need to check your zoning ordinance or your uh, city ordinance to see where you're going to be able to park those. Recre your boat, you know, it's expensive to store your boat somewhere else. Um, small boats um, under six feet, and that includes the trailer, can be in the side yard. Anything bigger than that, you can put in your backyard. Your RV can go in your backyard, but half the time, um, you know, in Norfolk, we're kind of landlocked. Not a lot of people have a lot of room to get those in the backyard. So if you have any questions about the commercial vehicles, you can always call the call center. See the Titanic over there in front? You know, it, I thought they think they were going to hide that under that tarp. You know, it's bigger than the house. Those are clearly it. Um, when the again, we use common sense and the inspection staff goes out there and, you know, my cousins, you know, they come down, they've got their RV, they're going to stay the weekend, you know, we're not going to write a ticket for that. Um, but then when they stay six months, that's going to be a problem. And all of these um, violations for the recreational vehicles can be a $30 parking ticket as well. And we can also tow it off your property, which is not pretty. A parking issue? Um, hopefully we're going to do what Bob says. We're going to knock on the door and say, hey, is this Aunt Martha's camper? What's going on? What are you doing? Guy goes, oh, you know, I'm selling them, getting the tags. I'll have it out of here in a week. I'm good with that, you know. I'm going to give him a notice, though, and put paper on him. And I'm going to say, this is what we agreed to. Um, and then after that, if he doesn't remove it, I can. We, we give the inspection staff their, their discretion, each one is different. Our standards would be um, for junked in up vehicle, first of all, the inspector's gonna write it for 48 hours, and that's a little bit unreasonable, but that's to get somebody to call you. Okay. So I call, the, you call my inspection staff and you go, look, it's my son's car, I'm gonna have it done in a week. He's gonna extend you out for a week. Junk, trash like that, usually 10 days. You know, and it's going to be depending on the situation. Our performance measures in neighborhood quality for any nuisance type complaints, which is what we've all been talking about, junk, trash, cars, those kinds of things, our inspection staff are supposed to have them closed out in 18 days, with some exceptions. So that's kind of how we go. Like I said, it's really hit and miss depending on the situations. Um, this is parking on the grass. 
The actual ordinance is parking on the um, unimproved surfaces of the front yard, okay? It's in the front yard. You can park on the grass in the backyard. Park on the grass on the side yard. You can't park in your front yard, and that's considered the first 25 feet of your front yard. So we get a lot of those, um, you know, Lafayette Boulevard, those people don't have parking. There's a lot of places that are really tight. People, you know, they're parking 42 cars right there in the front of their house. They think sometimes if they've thrown gravel down or there's no grass, that's okay. Um, it's not. So, you know, again, we're gonna be, <clears throat> you know, use common sense. One of the things that we will do, a lot of the houses in the city of Norfolk um, have curb cuts, but no driveways, because they were just built that way. Um, Oakdale Farms is like that. So what we'll do is it's, it's an unwritten kind of thing. If you have a curb cut and you're gonna drive straight in like you would go back to a garage, we're gonna let you do that. But if you don't have a curb cut or you come in and then you're parking like over here and four cars across, that's gonna be parking on the grass. These are, again, discretion can be used, but nine times out of 10, these are just $30 parking tickets. I don't know. No, hold on. <laughs> Corner or side or buffer yard. So that's gonna be the 10 foot, um, um, on a side yard, that's gonna be the 10 foot city easement. Um, uh, one of the nuances of this is, is if there's no curb and guttering, Chesapeake Boulevard doesn't have curb and guttering, and you would have that 10 foot as opposed to just your little three foot. And so they pull off and park like this, that's allowed because it's right in the city easement and there's no curb and guttering. So again, if you're in question, you know, just call the call center and we'll go out and investigate and see. Thank God, grass season is almost over. Um, you would think that grass would not be that difficult. People know it grows. Usually grows in the summertime after it rains. Um, there are those in the city of Norfolk that apparently don't understand that. Um, and it's a battle that we fight on a regular basis. Um, most of the time, I will tell you, my biggest problem is gonna be, especially with the economy, is foreclosed houses, vacant buildings, vacant lots. For the most part, if somebody's living there, even if it's a tenant, those are not our biggest complaints, but you know, we'll get them. Grass needs to be 12 inches tall. Grass is a wheat field at 12 inches tall. Um, but that's what the ordinance you know, states. So the way that we handle those, they come in as a complaint. Um, you know, the inspector's gonna go out, they're gonna give them two and five days, two days and five days to cut it. We do have the ability to come on to property and cut your grass for you and charge you. It is not cheap and we have just changed the ordinance um, for next year. The administrative fees will go up because what we found was it wasn't a very, you know, we were almost cutting the grass cheaper than they could get it cut. Um, and so with the help of council, that's one of our, our ordinance changes, our administration fees will go up, as well as we don't have to write a notice for repeat offenders. And those are gonna be the people that are dead, out of town, vacant lots that I can't find. So what I'll be able to do is cut that grass sooner so it doesn't have to get, but it still has to be 12 inches before I can go out there and get it. Absolutely. So um, Halima's staff will ask you that. They're going to say, can my inspector see it from the public right away? Well, no, I can see it from my yard. May we come onto your yard? She's going to ask you for a name and number, and my inspector's going to knock on your door. And he's going to put that in his notice, in his paperwork, that you allowed him on his property. So that is, um, especially junked and not vehicles in backyards, we can't see those for the most part, but the neighbors can. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, 
blow through here a little bit quicker because this is pretty straightforward. This is your state code. These codes you're not going to see on the Muni code. Basically, it says we adopt the international um, property maintenance code and we follow that. And we have some amend amendments that have come out of that. Um, I have the book. I can get it to you. I can put you to the um, DPOR site and you can probably, I think most of the Virginia maintenance code is online as well. Um, it's pretty boring and it's pretty straightforward. The maintenance code is about existing structures, okay? You need a permit to do all of your renovations, build new houses, but once the house is built, once the shed is built, it comes to our department. So any structure in the city of Norfolk that's already existing falls under the um, Virginia Property Maintenance Code. And again, because our housing stock in the city, I believe, is an average of like 1950. So one of the things that um, you need to be aware of is the house that was built in 1950 was built to 1950 standards. So we'll get a lot of um, tenants that'll call and they'll say, you know, I'm blowing a fuse left and right, I'm doing this. Well, that house was not meant for 42 computers and a laptop and a widescreen TV. And so I don't have the authority to make you bring your house up to today's building standards. Okay, so as long as it's maintained in the way that it was built, that's what we're gonna enforce. And so in the Virginia Property Maintenance Code, um, what it does is it gives us a lot of leeway. leeway. It says your house must be maintained. It must be free of flaking and peeling paint. The gutter thing is, is if you have gutters, they have to be maintained. But you don't have to have gutters. So if I come out there and say your gutter's hanging down, you take it down, done, it's fixed. Okay, so on you now, the fact that probably all that water's running down your house and it's gonna rot away. But you know, we like to let people know that as well. If we come out there and we say you need to repair your fence, if you take it down, it is repaired in our eyes, okay? So sometimes you can kind of get into some ugliness with that. Most of the time we're not doing interior inspections unless it's a rental unit. For the most part, property owners don't call and say, Sherry, can you come look at my house? Because, <laughs> you know, nobody wants to be in your house when you're a property owner. So we get a lot of tenant calls. And then we're certainly gonna deal with the landlord, not that it's written down, but a little bit different than a homeowner. Um, we do a lot of this time of the year, um, Virginia Natural Gas and the Fire Department um, will issue a lot of red tags this year. That means they've gone out there, somebody's called in, they've smelt gas or their heater's not working, they've had a small fire. We're gonna follow up on those. Those are about the only time that I'm into a homeowner's property. The typical exterior we're going to get in the older neighborhoods will be the flaking and peeling paint, the siding falling off. Um, I get a lot of the porches that are just falling off um, that are dangerous. Those are easy, easy things for our inspectors to write up. Um, if you have some of that in your neighborhood and you need to call that in, somebody's just not been responsive. Um, even if it's a house that's in foreclosure, um, you know, let us know. Um, we do graffiti, we had the tag out program. I think we've done really well with that downtown. Um, we'll get little little bits of it springing up throughout the city. Just call Halima's office, they'll take care of it. We'll get out there and take care of it. Um, there is a program that if you get tagged as a property owner, sometimes like um, by schools, you'll get yards that the fence constantly get tagged. Well, that property owners become a victim. If they take it off, then they can get with the city and we're gonna pay up to $50 to help them remove the graffiti since they were a victim as well. And then these are just some houses. There, it's a house. Actually, the other one they were moving. This is some kind of shed of some sort. 
just to give you a little bit about what we did last year in our department, 62% um, of what we did were nuisance. So that's your visible cases. Um, that's your, you know, trash and debris, junk and debris, those kinds of things. The emergencies are our fire red tags. Um, our abatements are the things that we went out and we bored at your house or cut your, or cut your grass or cleaned it up. Um, we have rental inspection, occupancy um, program. Zoning mostly deals now with, because everything is coextensive, zoning is going to deal with businesses in residential areas, setbacks on your fences, stuff like that, sheds, those kinds of things, um, for a total of 20,000 cases for the year. So that's kind of a breakdown of what we do. Um, for the most part, all of those, like I said, it's coextensive authority. The police can write it, the health department can write it, public works can write it. A bunch of us can write it. So we don't want you to have to figure out who to call, who's going to enforce that. So all you need to do is call Halima, and she's going to sort it out and send it to the correct department. Um, this brings up Halima. So my name's Halima Arias. I'm the program supervisor for the Norfolk Cares Impact Call Center. Um, I've spoken with, I believe, many of you, but um, it's good to put faces with names. So I'm glad to see all of you here today. The Norfolk Cares Assistance Center was um, originally established by City Council to have a single point of contact for residents who want information or to request services from the City of Norfolk. Um, and the original goal was just to improve the processing of yeah. citizen requests for service and for information. Um, the new name, Norfolk Cares Impact Call Center, is we're really trying to change the way we provide information and city services and providing updates and things like that. Um, you know, as it says here, Norfolk's um, care staff can make a referral to a specific department if their expertise is needed. But what we also do is track that concern through to its closure. So. Um, Basically, as the ladies in the call center try to say, we are the waitress and the departments are the cooks. Um, when, you're, when you have a concern or things like that, you voice it to the waitress. You're not able to talk with the cook. So we try to express your concerns onto the department. Um, how you can contact us, you can, of course, dial 664-6510 between the hours of 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. We are open some special hours. Um, as with the recent election, we were open poll hours. Um, and for certain special weather events and things like that, we're open for extended hours. You can also fill out our online Norfolk Cares Request for Assistance form. That's found on www.norfolk.gov. You can also send an email to Norfolk Cares at healthyneighborhoods at norfolk.gov. And all of those requests are, confi are confidential and they won't be revealed to anyone other than city staff. However, if um, a resident requests a FOIA request, we do have to provide that information, but if you would like your information to be kept confidential, just advise us so we can have that in the notes before we release any FOIA requests out. And that's where we're located on the webpage, right there on the right-hand side, um, above the Facebook and the Twitter tag on Norfolk.gov. So before I go into some of the common errors and things like that. I wanted to explain to you the process of when you call the call center. When you call the call center, um, as of October 1st, we have taken over um, the waste management Norfolk trash line, which is 4415813. 
So when you're calling, you'll have the greeting Norfolk Cares Impact Call Center. Um, you would call for a complaint or a concern or information. The rep representative is going to log that concern into the system. Based off of your complaints, they'll ask a series of questions, and we're going to go into depth with what questions they'll ask for what concerns and things like that. But the information is put in our main system. That main system is called our Community Support Center, and it's so we can track everything that comes through to the call center. After we put that information into the system, Depending on the type of concern, we may put it into the department system or we may send an email over to the department saying this was the concern the resident called in, um, can you please investigate it? What we do is we track, the we go back about two weeks later to the departments and say what is, what is happening with this concern, what's the action taken, depending on the nature. If it's something where it's urgent, we'll follow up every single day until we receive some sort of response as to what's happening with it. Um, and then those concerns are updated bi-weekly by the representative so that if you call in, anybody who calls can give you an update. Um, as far as some of the things that cause processing delays, our incorrect address. Let's say you're in the middle of a neighborhood and at the intersection of, um, I'll use a main thoroughfare, Granby and let's say uh, Freemason, Granby and Freemason, there is a street light that's out. On the intersection of Granby and Freemason, that could be one of four. So we try to ask you for a specific description as possible because when we enter that information into the system, we're having to choose which street light perhaps that you're talking about because we're not actually out in the field. We're not able to see what you're seeing. So that's why we try to ask specific information as possible. Um, another thing that causes processing delays, especially since we're in the winter and it's darker and things like that are um, with streetlight outages, the poll numbers. A lot of times, we're, if we don't receive the poll number, we have to look on a grid and try to see what streetlight you're referring to. And sometimes we're not able to get the correct streetlight. We want to take care of the issue because we know with streetlight outages, you know, that could cause crime um, and things like that, and it's just not safe. So that's some of the issues that cause a processing delay. The poll number is a good question. Um, it starts with NO, and it's a series of nine numbers. So if you could give us all of those nine numbers on the poll, that little tag, it'll say NO, you know, like 516 UB, something like that. It's nine numbers on the poll. Um, another thing that helps us as far as to help us in not, pro you know, having a process delay is, like I said, the spe specific location of the complaint. Um, is not provided. A lot of times um, they'll say there's tall weeds and grass at the property. They don't specify as to where it is. We'll, at, we'll ask them, can the inspector see it from the street? And then they'll say, oh yes, you should be able to see it. But it could have been in the backyard. And they'll assume that the inspector can see it from the backyard, but they can't. So we're not able to assist them with the concern and it adds on to a process delay. Um, like I said, description of a concern, that also adds a processing delay, and then complaints that are not a violation. But Sherry touched on that, what's a violation and what's not a violation. So, um, this kind of got moved around. Um, what information helps when I call? 
is just basically the location, as much information as you can give. A lot of times in some neighborhoods, there are not house numbers on homes and you're not able to see it. If you can give at the intersection of this and this street and the address next door is this, we're able to find it with that information. Uh, another thing is a specific description of what's being requested. You know, just being as clear as you can is also helpful. And at times, if you could provide your name and telephone number, it's helpful to us because we can call you back and say, unfortunately, the inspector went out there and he wasn't able to find this. Can you give me a little bit more information so that we can get this taken care of? So, um, you know, I know at times it's people may not want to provide that information, but it's really for our staff so that we can resolve the problem as quickly as possible. Um, like I said, with what help, information helps when I call st with streetlight service request, the full nine-digit poll. With streetlights in the city of Norfolk, they're owned and maintained by Dominion Virginia Power and not the city. So we are taking the information and putting it into their system and processing a work order into their system. Um, we're not able to provide responses as to what's going on with it. So what Dominion does is if they're working on it and it's gonna have uh, a extended or longer time to, for repair, you should see a pole wrap around the pole. It could be yellow, blue, or green to let you know it could be an underground cabling issue. It could be something with the um, actual light itself, or it could be something where it just takes an extended amount of time. So because of that, you should see that on the poll. If you don't, you can call us and then we'll check back into Dominion system to see what's going on. But a lot of times that's what adds to the delay, especially now since the recent hurricane, a lot of Dominion has gone to Staten Island and New York. So some of our street light outages are greatly delayed for um, this winter because all of, almost all of the crews are up north. Um, and like I said, the houses without visible house numbers um, and providing the address to the left and right of the home also helps when you call. And then what you can expect when you call, this is the um, Norfolk Cares Impact Call Center, like I said, is all calls are logged into the CSC system. It's routed to the correct department and then it's tracked for its action. If you call back or email us back, we can inform you of the outcome. What I'm going to do is go back to Sherry's presentation and just kind of go over some of the code violations and our actual impact with neighborhood quality and what we're asking when residents are calling. So what I wanted to go over with, you've seen this slide with accumulation of solid waste, and I kind of wanted to go into detail for when residents call. With trash and debris, there's trash and debris at the curb, and there's trash and debris on someone's front and backyard. If there's trash and debris at the curb, that's a waste management issue. So what we do is send that concern over to the waste management division and they send a refuse inspector out to let them know. First, they do a warning letter. You might have not known, but you can't have your trash at the curb past trash day sitting out. It could fall into the street. It's a safety hazard. Animals could get to it, things like that. If it's trash and debris in the front yard and in the backyard, we'll send it over to neighborhood quality. If it's a trash can in the front yard, we're gonna send it over to the waste management division. And a lot of times while we ask you those specific questions like where is the trash located? Um, can it be seen from the street? Things like that. Is it close to the edge? Is it falling into the street? It's just so we can make sure if you have 
um, say a bundle of wood that's falling over into the street. That could be a traffic hazard. Someone could run into it, someone could walk over it, there could be nails in it, things like that. So that's why we ask you those specific questions with the accumulation of solid waste. You're supposed to call in for bulk waste collections 3 p.m. before your trash date or submit an online request. Sometimes people are not aware of that, that you're supposed to call in for bulk waste collection. They'll assume if you set it out, it will be collected. Another issue is that they'll set it, they have done a garage clean out and they just don't want to see it sitting in front of their house, so they set it at the curb. You're supposed to set those items out after 5 p.m. before your trash day. If that does happen, you can give us a call. We will send that information over to the refuse inspector and let them know they set their trash out early, they set their bulk waste, um, waste items out early. Early. The first thing the refuse inspector does is give them a warning letter. You might not have known, but it needs to be out after five, and you can't have it sit out four and five days. The second time they have to notify them is a monetary violation. It's, it's uh, you know, anywhere from $25 to $500 to let them know that you cannot set your items out early. You received a warning letter. If this happens again, there's another monetary violation. So when they do call in, we try to, you know, let, if, Sometimes we'll have the residents who've called back and they've received that monetary violation and they'll say, I want to know why I'm being fined. You're being fined because you set your items out early. It's a hazard. You're leaving it out for days at a time. Animals can get to it. Rodents can get to it. It can fall to the street. You can't do that. It has to be out after five. And then we'll let them know, well, um, sometimes residents will say, I did not know you had to call out for bulk waste collection. I just thought they pick up what they see. They do not. If you haven't called it in, they will not pick it up. Ultimately the, ultimately, the landlord is responsible, but as far as with the trash cans, for some property owners um, with the multiplexes and stuff like that, they have individual water accounts, and it holds the responsibility on the tenant. Um, notification also goes to the property owner as well, but it holds the responsibility on the tenant because the tenant set it out. The next issue is inoperable and junk vehicles. When you call for these vehicles, we're gonna ask you, is it on the street or is it on the property? Um, the reason why we ask you that is if it's on the property, it goes to neighborhood quality. If it's on the street and there's an issue, it goes to the community resource officers. We're gonna ask you what makes it inoperable. And I know a lot of times um, people get slightly annoyed when we say, well, what makes it inoperable? Um, but we wanna know that, you know, is it missing tires? Does it have extensive body damage? Is it, does it not have current valid license or current state inspection and things like that? The reason why is if you're not able to explain that to us, uh, a community resource officer might go out and say, everything I've looked at, it's fine. It can park there. It's a public street. But if you have information that we do not have, um, that's where it causes a process delay. So those, that's why when you call, we'll say, what makes it inoperable? Um, same thing with commercial vehicles. We'll ask you for the location of where it is, um, if it's on the street, if it's on the property, and things like that, just so we can include that and give the inspectors and the resource officers as much information as possible so that they can take care of your concern. The next issue is with parking on the grass. Um, we do get a lot of concerns for this. The first thing that the call center will do is take the information and ask where the vehicle is parked. We go into the system and we send, dependent on if they, we've had a complaint before, send the property owners a courtesy letter. The courtesy letter just says, this, is, this letter just says a courtesy to let you know that you cannot park on the grass and this is what the ordinance says. If it becomes a reoccurrent issue, we establish a case for a zoning enforcement coordinator. 
if it becomes an issue where they're only doing this at night, we send it to the community resource officer and just let them know, can you please keep a lookout for this in the evening? It seems to only happen in the evening. Zoning enforcement coordinators work in the day, police officers work in the evening, so we send it to them just as a heads up, if you can look out for this, it seems to only happen in the evening. With tall weeds and grass, it's um, a call center representative is gonna ask you, is the grass over 12 inches? And we ask, is the grass over 12 inches throughout? not 12 inches in patches. Um, you could have that you know, crabgrass where it's only in certain, it's clustered in certain areas. We ask, is it over 12 inches throughout and can the inspector see it from the street? And Sherry touched on that reason why we asked from the street. The first thing we do is if they haven't had a courtesy letter, we'll let, we send a courtesy letter saying you might not have known if the grass is over 12 inches, this is the ordinance, we ask that you cut it. An inspector will follow up five days later. Okay, with the interior violations, um, tenants can call when they have issues with, with their landlord and we ask them a series of questions. We're gonna ask them, um, first of all, have you talked to your landlord about this issue? Have you advised them that, you know, I'm having issues with my plumbing's leaking, my toilet's running, things like that. That's the first thing that we ask them. Um, a lot of times they'll say, I've talked to my landlord, they haven't taken care of the issue, what do I do now? We get. Um, an overview of all of the violations they believe in their home. We'll ask them, what's your landlord's name and telephone number? A lot of times tenants have access to the property owner that the city does not have. So we ask them that information in the call. Um, uh, something else that I wanted to talk about is when you send concerns to the call center via email and via the request for assistance forms, a lot of times people will say, I sent an email or I submitted a streetlight service request or a traffic signal service request um, and I haven't had a response back. With streetlight service requests and healthy neighborhood emails that go to healthy neighborhood and traffic signal requests, we send you that initial response to let you know this is what we're this is where we're routing it to. Um, with streetlight service requests and traffic signal response, we don't provide follow-up responses um, via email with that. If you would like a response, you can call back in or you can feel free to email us back in. With the request for assistance form, there's an option at the bottom page of the form that says, would you like us to follow up with you regarding the actions taken on this case? We follow up with you every two to three weeks to say this is the action taken on the case, but we need to be notified that you want that kind of, a lot of people want email notification with what's going on with certain issues, and we can do that. You just have to let us know that you want that type of response. Um, for street light service requests, we send you um, if you submit the request online, we submit, we submit a response to you saying this is the date we received it, this is your work order number, and an estimation of how long it's going to take. Um, sometimes residents will email concerns to different departments. Um, a lot of times that's where the process delay begins because it doesn't, it goes to let's say public works, it goes to um, let's say the right of way or transportation division, and then there's a delay in actually getting it to the call center or we can't track where it's, if it goes directly to a department, the call center cannot track it because it didn't initially come into our, we can find out about it, we can call and ask what's happening with it, but we can't track it from our end because it didn't initially start with us. Um, so a lot of times just, you know, be mindful. It helps if you send it to us because we can track it and where it went. If it goes to another department, we're not 
while we can communicate with them and get information from them, it does cause a process delay because we'll have to call you back and follow up with them and things like that. Um, an example of this is we had an issue um, in a particular neighborhood where there's just a reoccurrent trash issue where we've notified the property owner they've received multiple monetary violations um, up in the hundreds for setting their trash can out early. And the issue was they just had a, a constant rollover of tenants. It just was a new tenant and the property owner was just not notifying them that you can't set your trash can out early and things like that. What the residents were doing were emailing the mayor's office. Um, they emailed a company called Waste Management, which even though our division is called Waste Management, there's a private company called Waste Management. And they were upset because they said, well, the city's not doing anything about it. We've emailed Waste Management, but the private company, not our Waste Management. And they want to know, how come the city isn't doing anything? What happened was we never were notified, but when we did find out about the issue, we um, were able to send the refuse inspector and also the operations manager to talk to the tenants, to talk to the property owner, to let him know if you're going to have new tenants come in, you have to notify them that you cannot set your trash out early and leave it sitting there for weeks. Um, so an issue like that is just an example of why we prefer that you call it directly into us. You can. I'm not, I, I can't tell you you can't email a department. It's just a lot more effective with a centralized place because we can track it. And then the same thing like graffiti. With graffiti, if you could give us as much information as possible when you're calling it in a description of where um, the graffiti's located, let's say a lot of times they are on utility boxes, a lot of times they are on the, of the, the side of the building. We had a call one time where a, um, a person called and they said there's a big you know, red layer of graffiti on a building. And then we said, where on the building? And they said, well, if you just go ahead and go out there, you'll be able to see it. And then she hung up. So unfortunately, we don't know where it is. So we put into the notes, we don't have an exact location. Actually, where the graffiti was, was fenced in behind the building and the inspector couldn't see it from the street. However, um, when he walked all the way around, he was able to see the graffiti, but just information like that helps. We wanna take care of the issue, but that's why we asked for as much description as possible. And then just in closing, um, if you ever have any questions, any concerns, um, it just basically need information. That's what the call center's for. We're a one-stop shop for all your information and service requests. Okay, as I said before, I'm with the Willoughby Spit Civic League. Um, I think most of you kind of know about Willoughby Spit on the northern part of Norfolk. It's, uh, it's about two miles long, and depending on where you're at, it's anywhere from maybe an eighth to a few feet wide. There are over 200 just apartment buildings in that area. This doesn't include condos or duplexes. Um, large, large percent of uh, multifamily uh, properties. We estimate, and we think we're being conservative when we say 75 to 80 percent of the properties of Willoughby Spit are renters. Some people say it could even be 85 and 90 percent, and, and we actually believe it. So what I'm going to present here, you'll see how it ties so much into what Halima just said. Uh, and keep in mind that each community is different. Uh, a community that is 
is all single family homes would be totally different than what I'm presented. But hopefully this could be a model that maybe you guys could, could adopt. So we, we've started putting uh, information about the call center in every newsletter, every civic league meeting we have, we take every opportunity to remind people when to put their trash cans out, when to call in bulk waste to take your trash cans back in. Just through repetitiveness, hopefully they'll get it. <clears throat> and the thing about it is having so many renters is that that's the majority of people that do not come to the Civic League meeting. So we're trying to extend also to the property managers and either notify them when things occur. And, and by and far, they are appreciative when we do notify them. Uh, and they, they say, hey, you know, when anything happens like that, give me a call again and let me know. Because they're not always there at the properties and they don't know what's going on. And another thing that I have found very useful is taking pictures. Can't refute it. Although I did have one property owner that refuted it. A big pile of trash in the front of his building with the street number and he said, that is not my building. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to say about that. But pictures do speak a thousand words and it also gives you an audit trail for recurring problems. <clears throat> and sometimes I've actually sent pictures into Halima to, to kind of elaborate on what the situation is. Uh, <clears throat> also what we do is we, we do look at the trash and recycle containers out on the street, the bulk waste on the streets and properties, the tall weeds and grass. Uh, we also look at street, sidewalk, and curb repairs that are needed, uh, utility markings on the streets, we report those and street lights that are not working. So we're very busy in helping the city. The city has limited resources. So at the Civic League, we adopted what can we do to help you do what you do. And this is something that we came up with that we actually report to the city. Uh, it goes into Norfolk Air. We actually go to, through the Norfolk Air to, to uh, get the status of a lot of these things. We, uh, we're in constant contact with either public works or bulk waste or either through the healthy neighborhoods on, on status of a lot of the things that we do. Uh, we've got several committees in the league that work together. We've got a conservation committee that works with NRHA on a, acquiring NRHA properties. Uh, the neighborhood improvement, which is, is my committee, which we deal with the zoning codes, bulk ways. And then we've got the Clean and Green Willoughby, which deals with uh, recycle and trash removal. And uh, we've got a team that goes through and picks up trash on the sidewalks at the interstate uh, entrance and exit ramps as well. So the Civic League said, what can we do? So we wanted to take a more active role with the community. So we established a rapport with uh, the City of Norfolk Departments. Initially, we started out having quarterly review meetings to address, to address concerns with the city attorney, public works. We, we met at the city hall in the big conference room, and we just had probably 15 to 20 people there of all disciplines. We did that for about a year, uh, provided information to them, and I'll give examples of the information later on. And as we established a good rapport, we actually were able to just have the meetings as needed. Uh, if, if I need John Morsberger a meeting with him, I'll call him, schedule a meeting with him, 
be it with uh, the city attorney. We'll just call and schedule a meeting with uh, Cindy Hall. We also identified uh, these properties or these incidences as, as urgent, uh, high priority, if it's just a watch list. And that's more uh, urgent is something that has been there um, say if it's, if it's a building that's falling down, it's been there for a while, that's gonna go on our urgent list. Telling the city, we really need you to do something about this because it is becoming a safety issue. We, we do uh, probably about every four or five months, we'll drive around with uh, John Morseberger and uh, just to get a visual on what's going on in the neighborhood. Uh, he'll, from his eyes, his viewpoint, he'll point out things that we won't even recognize and it just gives us a, a better understanding of the codes and zoning process we've also identified uh, ha having so many multifamily uh, properties we've noticed an increase in the police presence as well so what we've done is gone through the freedom of information act and identified a, a lot of properties to, to ask the police department within a specific given time, how many police calls have been made to this, these properties. So we're, we're tackling that now with property owners to let property owners know, putting them on notice, hey, we've noticed that this, your property in the last year has had 100 and something police calls made to it. And uh, of course, we do document all these issues in, a, in the database with, with pictures. And one thing about, I, I, I'm an IT guy, so I'm, I'm all about databases. So I, I, I took all this information that we get from the league and put it in a database, more of a one-stop shop. And one thing that it does let me do, I can get a list of what we call frequent abusers. If, if there's a specific property week in and week out, it's always on the list, then what I can do is take this property, sort it out, with a list of all the violations, give it to the city attorney and Cindy Hall will send a letter to the property owner and, and pretty much tell them to get their act together. Uh, we provide weekly reports to uh, public work operations for bulk waste. Uh, uh, will it be spent because of the layout and having properties stacked behind properties, stacked behind properties there is an issue with, with bulk waste, not knowing who put it out. And it got to be such a problem that we sort of set up a program with public works where they will come out and pick it up uh, usually every, every Monday morning. We submit a report to them on Sunday. We drive through the neighborhood, send the list in and say, these are all the properties. And it's not uncommon to have 15 to 20 uh, properties that have bulk waste issues. They'll, they'll come out and pick it up on Monday morning, uh, issue violations or warnings if, if needed. And DPW also keeps a track of frequent abusers. Uh, we've actually re reduced that from about 100 per week on the receptacles le left on the sidewalk from about 100 per week down to about 20. So that, that's quite an accomplishment. Um, we also reduced reporting f from over about 200 calls, and that's either through 
to public works for debris or to healthy neighborhoods down to about 20 per week, which is also an accomplishment. And we maintained, um, through this database, we were able to look at how many ongoing open calls we have, be it, um, uh, say, property structures that were in code violations all the way to street maintenance. And a year ago, we averaged about 100 open calls at one time that we were tracking, and we're down to about 20 now. So it's, that's, that's progress that we've, we've made through the league. So one thing it's, it's afforded us to do, we've learned more about coding and zoning regulations. The Norfolk Air, they get reviewed monthly. It's a way that we can look at these open calls and say, you know, we can ask, has a case been assigned to these and what is the status? And it's, it's pretty good. It, it, talks, it mentions in there about follow-ups, if it was assigned to an inspector, if there were any legal notice, if there was a, a tall grass let, letter, courtesy letter that was sent, just a wealth of information that, that's in those. And of course, all the stats that come from that are reported at the Civic League each month. In addition, what it does, it, it educates our Civic League members. Uh, but the biggest obstacle that we have because of so many rentals is education of, of the uh, residents of Willoughby. And um, what I'm going to show you here is a little bit of the uh, database that I created. Uh, <clears throat> So this is the template that I use. I, I put in the street number and name, the initial date, um, if it's resolved or not, I can uh, annotate that information, what the violation is, and it's all checkmarked. Is it a debris on the street? Is it debris on the property? Is it grass watch list? Is it on a top 10 list we have? Urgent, if it's single or multifamily housing? Is it a dumpster? Suspicious behavior? It, you know, if there's, um, it looks like a lot of people are gathering around in a dark area. It may be drug activity. We don't know. So if it's that, if it's trash receptacles, if it's street maintenance, uh, action is city action that's taken. Uh, any notes, if the call center's been notified when they're notified. Norfolk Air is if Norfolk Air has been checked. So uh, you don't keep checking it every day because it's a little intensive to go through if you have, well, back when I had about 100 properties, to keep going through Norfolk Air, but it just tells when Norfolk Air was checked, if a case has been assigned, if there are history in cases, uh, case information is a list of the information of the cases, uh, when the property was last reviewed. You know, some property enhancements, it could take six months for them to do it, so I don't want to keep checking. So I, I can look at this and say, okay, I just looked at that property a month ago, so I know I don't need to do it for another three or four months. And then I can attach up to four pictures if I need to. This is an example of a report. Uh, I took the address off, but this is a house in Willoughby. It's been boarded up forever. Uh, we opened it up in June of 2011. The call center was notified the 16th of June. Last time I looked at the house was the 2nd of November. You see the check marks, the city actions, and these are just notes over here, the things that I've done. Each time I email Norfolk Cares for an update, I annotate that. What's been done, any history of, of the code, I've got a picture of it. So this is my documentation so that if I have to go to the 
city attorney in a meeting or a codes guy, I can just put this down and say, look, here's the documentation. Can you get me some action? So, you know, it, it's, this is the thousand words that we always need when we need to prove a point. Uh, this is an example of, of condos where the siding is rotting and peeling. And it's just the history. And I just got an update that the condo association has agreed to, to contract out the siding repair. So that's taken almost a year of, of follow-up to, to get that done. This is street maintenance. Uh, the, I've got the address closest to where the, the maintenance was. If it's sidewalk and curb damage, and I can keep a track of those, and those go over to, uh, I usually send those to Alice Kelly, Department of Public Works. Light poles. I know this is getting a little anal, but what we did, <laughs> you know, we were trying to report light outages and trying to read the numbers and know where you're at. We were getting information from the people, and they said, well, I think it's on the southeast or southwest corner of the Paper Street at 7th, and I said, wait a minute. So what, what I did was w went through, rode my bike around with a little voice recorder, went all over Willoughby Spit and recorded uh, the addresses and the poll numbers for every light poll at Willoughby Spit and provided that to the Civic League and said, okay, if you have the house number, I can tell you what poll number it is. And that, that, that really helped. And, and I think we had about 47, the first time I did this, we had about 47 streetlights out just in Willoughby. Those got repaired in six months. We, do, we try to do this just before fall when winter sets in and usually in, in late spring, so twice a year. And I think the second time there were only about 13. <clears throat> so this is a report by, by the street name um, of when it was done and, and one thing else that, that this lets me do is I can sort it. If there's a recurring street light, I can let Public Works know, hey, this light has been, is, is recurring on every single list. And they may not know that right off the bat, but I can tell them. And, and you know, this is, this is me kind of being more proactive and saying, in, in helping Public Works with, with their job. You know, they've got, when you look at all the light poles in the city, this might go unnoticed, but I can point it out to them and then they can go ahead and take care of it immediately. And this is an, uh, the stats. I've got a spreadsheet. This is what I report every month to the Civic League. Uh, how many cases you can see we opened for the month, how many we closed, how many were weeds and grass, street debris, property degree, debris, and um, then I, I keep a list of my cumulative totals. So this is in about a year and a half or so, we've had about just over 2,000 calls that we've made in. So it's, um, and it's, it's made, a, it, it's taken about a year or so before we actually started seeing a lot of progress in the results of, of this. If you want the database, there's my email address. I'll be more than happy to send you the template. You can use it however you need to use it. If you need any help with it, let me know. Be more than happy.